Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Thank you for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. Our speaker today is Dr. Doug Castle. He's been the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church since May of 2004. You can go to his website, bbclinton.org, and find out more about him. I'll give you just a little bit of background. He was saved in 1997. He also served for nearly six years in both the Indiana National Guard and the Air Force. So he's been the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church since May of 2004. He's an avid reader, writer, and you can look up on his website and get information about some of the commentaries. He's working on commentaries right now. And I'm sure today's message will be a blessing to you as you listen. had people coming up and offering me inches of water today in the hallway coming in so uh, I've but I've had all the water I can take for the day actually uh, we uh, got a good night's rest last night and woke up this morning and there were Dunkin Donuts gift cards in our rooms and I love Dunkin Donuts I love the donuts I love the coffee where we live of course it's a, a ways now just a few years ago we got a Dunkin Donuts but it's it's 40 minutes from us, but, I mean, we drive 40 minutes to go to Walmart anyway, you know. So uh, I'm glad it's not right there in our town, or I'd probably uh, be three times the size that I am now. But we had Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast uh, this morning, and uh, the coffee and the donuts enjoyed it. So I passed on my water. And we uh, uh, hope you, uh, if you're in Bible college, I hope you didn't get a good night's rest. Because Bible college, I just remember four years, it was like a blur. You know, you worked 40 hours a week, you went to class, you did bus route and service and ministry and everything, and, and uh, you just didn't sleep for those four years, and I'm one of them rite of passage guys. If I suffered, I want you to suffer, you know, so uh, I uh, but, uh, look forward to being with you this morning. Thankful for all the, the kindnesses that have been uh, uh, given to us and shared with us and the time with Brother Armacost uh, last night in the fellowship and getting every time we get to come and get to know a few more people and get to know a little bit better, uh, we certainly enjoy our time here. And I want you to take your Bibles this morning, go to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. I'm going to get right to it this morning. And Luke chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 25, down through verse number 
35 in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And uh, I just finished a three-week ser- series in our church about things that are precious to God. And uh, I'm thinking about one more sermon about Dunkin' Donuts being precious to God uh, next week. I might go back one more week on that one. But uh, Luke chapter 14, verse number 25, going to begin reading down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says this, there went great multitudes with him. I want you to pay attention to that, young people. Great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. Now watch these words. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There again cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after that, uh, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, there are those words again, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his Savior, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for land, nor yet for the dunghill, but man cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You know, those are words that Jesus said to the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation. Let him that heareth what the Spirit saith unto the churches, and he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I want to preach to you just for a little while this morning about what it costs to be a disciple of Jesus. Heavenly Father, uh, again, we thank you for the time that we uh, have together this morning for a few moments. Father, we thank you for the, the young people that are here this morning that, uh, again, were here last night at, in, in the church service. And Lord, once again this morning, we come uh, before you, Lord your people in one place, and we pray again, Lord, that we'd not hear from a man, but that we'd hear from our God, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to, to blow through this place, that, that uh, I would preach in his fullness and strength and power. But Father, it's not just enough of the, the Spirit to speak through, he has to speak to. We pray that each and every one that is here for just a moment would set aside the cares and the distractions, the busyness, the responsibilities of the day, and all that fills our minds, and for a few moments, Lord, that we, your word would uh, be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We'll give you our thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Young people, I grew up in a Christian home and never went to a public school, went to Bible college, things like that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've, was common in, that happened with, with in Jesus' day and it happens in ours is there's multitudes that are raised following Jesus that are not disciples of Jesus. Not everybody that graduates from a Christian school becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not everybody that grew up in church became a, becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. Walking into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more, more than walking into a barn makes you a horse. There are people that go to Bible college that do not become disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. And uh, my wife, her dad was a pastor. I said I wouldn't be one. She said we wouldn't be. She wouldn't marry one. Here we are. And uh, but I grew up in Christian home. Grew up with a Christian education. I went to Bible college, 
when I was in Bible college, I worked for a year and a half in an inner city rescue mission. That was very uh, enlightening, very eye-opening. Gave me an insight into dealing with the different type of people in the ministry that uh, I wouldn't have, would not have gotten any other way. I was an assistant pastor in two churches over a period of five years. I've been in the ministry over 20 years. Uh, I've pastored our church for the last 15. I've had four different assistant pastors, radio staff, other staff members, and secretaries, things like that. And I tell you this because I want you to know that when I went into the ministry, I at least, I didn't feel like, I'll be honest, I didn't feel like I was qualified. I really didn't. I'm that guy that when God called me, I said, you've got to be kidding I was very quiet. I was very introverted. Most people that know me now don't even can't believe it. But I'm telling you, growing up, I was very, very quiet, very shy, very introverted. In fact, when I went to Bible college, I did. I, I went to Bible college uh, because I knew that if I didn't go to Bible college, I'd be outside the will of God, and I was afraid of the judgment of God because I'd seen it. So I went to Bible college, but instead, and I knew I was called to preach. I can tell you, the moment I was called to preach, like the day I got saved. But when I went to Bible college, I had such a fear of public speaking. I took secondary education, so I would avoid the preaching classes. And I was in the service, and so I went to a few different Bible colleges. Uh, I kind of went where I landed, is why I tell people I was in the Air Force. And uh, and I, because I was able to change, because I changed schools, I never took any of the public speaking classes. I never took Speech 101. In fact, I took a zero on one-third of my History of Civilization report because I could not give a five-minute oral report in front of five people. Okay. So I, I never felt like, uh, as far as feeling like, man, God, you know, boy, I'm glad God called me. I wasn't that guy. But I surrendered to God's call, and, and later uh, God did a work in my heart, and he, 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 gave me, uh, he gave me, when God calls, he qualifies. But I didn't, I, I didn't feel adequate. But I did feel this. I did feel like when I became a pastor, I did feel like I had an idea because of growing up in a pastor's home and having a Christian education and growing up in the ministry and, and, and seven years of Bible college, I went back. I felt like I had done a disservice to the people that I would be serving as a pastor. So I went back to seminary and took theology and a master's of theology and a doctorate because I, I felt like I was going to be cheating the people I'd be serving. And so I did go back and get and round out my Bible college education for that purpose. Uh, but I felt like I knew what was coming when I became a pastor. I at least felt like I had a leg up. I've been an assistant for several years. I'm going to tell you, I didn't have a clue. And young people, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is what's going to happen to you at some point. Your expectations you're going to find are very different than the realities of the place that God has called you to serve. There is a difference between expectation and reality. It's not just me. It's not just you. I could take you through this Bible more time than you want to hear about today with different ones that their expectations did not meet realities. I'll give you one. John the Baptist. He was the birth cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the, the, the man that God had closed the, the open revelation to his prophets for 400 years and reopened that chapter with John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist, here came Jesus. He said, there cometh one after me. He said, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. And when he saw Jesus the next day in Bethabara beyond Jordan, he said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus came to be baptized. And John said, I have need to be baptized of thee. But Jesus said, suffer it to be so. 
for the, you know, to fulfill uh, all prophecy. And so John the Baptist baptized the body of our Lord. And I'm telling you, only one person was going to get that privilege, that honor, that opportunity. And as he lifted the body of our Savior out of the waters of the Jordan, the Holy Spirit of God in the form of a dove descended on the Lord Jesus. And he heard God the Father's voice break the heavens one of only three times in the life of our Lord that happened. And he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And within weeks, John the Baptist is in a prison. And he sends two of his disciples. And he says these words. Art thou he that cometh? Or look we for another? All of a sudden, John's expectations and his realities didn't line up. I mean, he heard the voice of God break the heavens. He saw the Spirit of God like a dove. They hadn't seen a miracle like that in Israel in over 400 years. And now, But now John was sitting in prison. Life didn't turn out. Eight, 30 years of life for eight months of public ministry to be put in his prison and then to be beheaded because of because Herod beheaded John, because we know that Herodias and all that, that they set him up and they asked for the head of John the Baptist, and the Christian life didn't turn out the way that John, that John thought it would. I don't know what John expected to happen, but, you know, John was not expecting to be put in prison and to be beheaded because of some, some drunken adulterer and the adulteresses daughter. One day in your ministry, your expectation is going to meet up with your reality. And you better know what it takes to really be a disciple. Because multitudes follow Jesus. You better remember something. It was multitudes that crucified Him. And there are people that, uh, they, that followed Him and, and they followed follow Jesus here and all of a sudden uh, Jesus said, look, I, I, hear, I see there are... And, there are multitudes, thousands and thousands of people that were following him. Anytime you find a multitude in the Bible, you found you never find less than four thousand men. That didn't count the women. That didn't count the children. That would add an average of, of several thousand more. And in the Bible, I like what one old preacher used to say. He said, uh, "You know, in the Bible, they didn't they didn't count the women, but they always but God has always counted on them." And that's very true. You know, I've known a lot of castaways in the ministry. I've known more than one preacher. I've known at least four preachers that have committed suicide. I, I have a man that worked for me seven years, for seven years, who is divorced and out of the ministry. My roommate in Bible college was one of the godliest, most sincere young people uh, that I knew. I mean, sold out on fire for God. And today he professes to be an atheist. He's become a multimillionaire. You can find pictures of him with, with some of the former presidents on the internet if I gave you his name. And says there is no God. Because Jesus said there's a difference between just being part of the crowd that follows me and being a disciple. And people have, there's, uh, pe- uh, people have, mis- have misdefined that word discipleship. There's been a lot of confusion about what it takes to be a disciple. I'm not going to tell you my inch of water story again. You've already heard that. You know that there's going to be... I, I don't, and Jesus did not expect us to be confused about what it takes to be a disciple. So He gave, he gave us three things. 
Discipleship's becoming one of those words. I, I, I deal, I, we got a lot of missionaries that come through, and I hear them use that word. It's, becoming, it's beginning to cease to be a Bible word and starting to become a buzzword. And it's a buzzword because I can tell by the way they describe discipleship, they're not talking about what Jesus talks about. There's three things Jesus said here very quickly. If you're going to be my disciple, he said, he started in verse 26. He said, if you're not willing to forsake your family, you cannot be my disciple. Do you know, I know a young lady that uh, was engaged to a good young man. I know the young lady, and honestly, I believe she's a good young lady. I know her family and her, her, her dad, and I know the young man she's engaged to in a different state, different Bible college. Known them, known everybody that's involved for most of their lives, and and uh, they were engaged to be married, good young couple, and she informed her fiancé uh, that they were going to go work for her father, and that was where they were going to spend their ministry. She told him. Now, he had the good sense to dump her, you know, because God leads the man, and God calls the man, and God calls the man to the place. And that, that young man remarried another, married, didn't remarry, but married a different young lady, and he's not serving in his home church. He's serving in a church, uh, actually, for another pastor that I know, a friend of mine, and is in the ministry and serving. But if he'd have married that young girl, you know what her problem was? She wasn't willing to forsake her family. By the way, she's, she's single, and she's with her family. And if, if she doesn't change, you know, her, her, her spirit, that's probably the way it's going to be. You know, not everybody's willing to waste their family, to, to lead their family. And look, when you come to Bible college, a lot of times what happens, I was that kid, I grew up in a town of a thousand people, you know, I grew up, we didn't have television, anything like that, and I just kind of grew up bored. Now, you never said you was bored, you was going to do chores, okay? You didn't say them words, but I was bored. I mean, there was nothing to do. I read books, I played basketball, that was, that was all, all, about all I did. Now, I worked a job since I was a teenager, in fact, worked full time, but I, I, I could not wait to get out of that small town and out of that hick town. And I couldn't wait to get to Bible college. Now, I love my parents. I lo- that wasn't the issue. I, I loved our church. I loved my parents. That wasn't the issue. But I just couldn't wait to get out of small town uh, America and all the boring. And I got to Bible college, and I went a little uh, about a week too early. Didn't have a job right then. And I'm going to tell you what, I cried like a baby because I missed my family. Back then, we didn't have, we did not have cell phones. Al Gore had not yet invented the internet. I, I mean, there was, we had a pay phone in the hallway, and we had calling cards, and a few cool kids had a pager. Why, we didn't know. Only doctors and Doogie Hauser needed pagers back then. But, and I know you don't know who Doogie Hauser is. It's something you can Google later, okay? He was a teenage doctor or something on television back in the 80s. But there was, you know, it wasn't just like I could just pick up and, uh, and, and FaceTime my mother and my father. I mean, in the hallway, I mean, you're sitting there, you've got to be the man because you're a guy, you know, and you're in the hallway and you've got 30 guys coming through the hallway and, and you're wanting to cry talking to your mommy on the phone, but you've got to be cool because the guys are around. You know, it just, it's terrible. You know what happens in Bible college is kind of a gut check. Are you really, are you willing not just to go to Bible college, but see, you know you're going home at Christmas. You know you're going home for spring break or going home in the summer, but are you going to go on after that? Are you going to be willing? I have a friend that I... Uh, that I've known since the eighth grade and served several years in the ministry, got called, went to the mission field. And when he went to the mission field, and he was somebody that had been in the mission, in the ministry for several years and in his 30s went to the mission field and was home and, and joked about the fact that he took his wife on Valentine's Day to the mission field and they were home in six weeks. 
I got a list of missionaries I could give you. It's not just missionaries. I, I could I could tell you about lots of people, and it's not that uh, no one goes before Jesus Christ if you're going to be his disciple. It can't be your father, can't be your mother, you, you, it can't be your wife, can't be anybody. You put your you put your family first by putting Christ first. If you're not willing to forsake your family, you know there was one famous preacher. Uh, many well, it was Dr. Lee Robertson years ago when in the days when. Uh, when Tennessee Temple, I understand that place is totally, I mean, doesn't even exist anymore. But back in the day, Dr. Lee Robinson, he, somebody asked him, he said, what, uh, what's the number one problem with Bible college students? And this is what he said without hesitation. He said, 95% of our Bible college students are marrying outside the will of God. You know why? Because you come to Bible college and you're lonely. And let me tell you something, young people. You can be in a crowd of 1,000 people. You can be married for 15 years. You can be married for 30 years, and you can still be lonely. You're going to have to find out that loneliness, Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, that if you're going to be his disciple, that the presence of Jesus Christ in your life, that that's enough when nothing else is. Because I counsel a lot of people that are married, and they're very lonely in their marriage. You can be in a room with 200 people. You can be in a room with 2,000 people and be lonely. But you know what? People that walk with God, they're not lonely. They're content. They have that deep, abiding joy that remains in you. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to find your joy. You're going to have to find your contentment. Nobody else goes before me in your life. And, you, and if, if you can pass the litmus test, the acid test of forsaking your family, you can be my disciple. But if you can't do that, you can't be my disciple. Number two, you, uh, you cannot be my disciple if you don't forsake your future. He, he said, uh, he said uh, look, look here in verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You think the future is going to be a crown? It's a cross. I, I think there's something in everybody that when God calls us into the ministry, we cannot wait to get there. We cannot wait to serve. And we just know that God's going to use us. And sometimes, and God's going to use you, young people. If He's called you, He is going to use you. But He may not use you to the capacity that you think. He might not use you in the same way that that you think he's going to use you or that he desires. He's going to use you in a different way, something that you don't see. And part of the way he's going to use you, a lot of times people think, well, man, I can't wait to be the pastor. I can't wait to get the mission. I'm going to lead thousands and thousands of people to Christ. I hope you do. And, and I, you're going to lead people to Christ, but I'm going to pastor the next. The, God's been waiting on me. We're going to have the Holy Spirit revival like has not been seen since, since Whitfield and Finney and, and all these other guys and D.L. Moody. And, and we're just going to, and you're going to find out that, uh, discipleship does not come without a cross. And see, you look to the future right now. If you're not, if you're not careful, you get delusions of grandeur, and you just you you think that the future is going. You you got you don't know exactly where you're going to be or what it's going to be, but you kind of got it all mapped out how it's going to go, and it's not going to go like you think it's going to go. It's not going to go. I am no, I'm not pastoring where I thought I would pastor. I, when I surrendered to the world, I thought uh, w- w- the church that I, that I pastor, at the t- that time in my life, we were praying about starting a church out west and looking at going to the mission field. Wasn't even looking at taking an existing church, let alone one that was 165 years old. You talk about baggage. Uh, I, I just, you know, it's bad enough when you create your own baggage, let alone when you've got to deal with the last six guys' baggage. I, I, uh, you, you see, and you, I'm not trying to be unkind, but there's a generation coming up that thinks that the ministry is praise and glory, and that we're just, you know, the next of that, that we're going to add a new federal holiday to the 
to, to the calendar, and it's going to be your church anniversary and your, wife, your wedding anniversary and your birthday. And look, our, our church, they honor us, and, and they take better care of us than most. I, I, I mean that with all my heart, but if that's why you're there, you're, you're, you're not going to be a disciple very long, I promise you that. If you go there and you got the idea that those people, uh, they've, been waiting, they've been waiting for you to come so that they can help you build your ego, your empire, and your economics, you are, you're in for a very rude awakening because the ministry is about, it's, about, it's not about the praise and glory. But think about it. Tell me one time, show me one time in the gospel records when Jesus was here on this earth that the disciples went to Jesus and said and celebrated his birthday. Show me one time the, G, the disciples that it records that they said thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Show me one time that the disciples, uh, 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 you know, pat, offered Jesus any praise and glory. They, they confessed that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Jesus, you, you really look at what He had to deal with with Peter and James and John. He's on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane and they're still fighting about who's going to sit on His right hand or His left hand. Peter has swore in his life he'll not deny him, and he does it three times. I mean, he's been with them for three, and eight, three years at this point. They know who he is and what he is, and you find, you find very little gratitude when those that are following him. But you know what Jesus did? He went out bearing his cross. And, and for the, 1 Peter 2.21 says, For even here unto you were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. I'm just here to tell you, being part of the ministry, there are some great things. Yeah, uh, Pastor Larry Brown, I, I know he preached here several years ago. He preaches for us every couple of years. I, I've known him most of my life. I mean, he, he, he was at our, our wedding when we got married. We're very close to Brother Brown. He came one year, and, he, and uh, I had him preaching for a soul-winning conference, and he preached a message. And it, He said, you know what? He, he went to the Battle of Jericho. And you know, they walked around the walls, and, and the walls came tumbling down. And uh, we had him, and, and I believe Brother Bobby Robertson was there preaching at the same time. And Brother Brown got up and he said, listen, he said, the reason they brought, you, they brought me here is to tell you all the great soul-winning stories, how we built the great Marion Avenue Baptist Church. He said, let me ask you something about the walls of Jericho. They walked around the wall once a day for, seven, for six days, and on the seventh day they walked around seven days, and then the walls came down. He said, they bring, us, they bring me here so, to tell you about how the walls fall down. He said, but listen, he said, most days, we just walk around the walls. Young people, if you don't understand that most days you're going to go out and you're going to, yeah, you are going to spend most of your ministry, you're going to have some great stories to tell if you're truly a disciple. But what God's calling you to do is to walk around the walls most days. He doesn't talk about a crown. And there is a crown, but that's, that's for heaven, young people. We get our crowns when we stand, when, when our earthly race is done. That crown doesn't come until, until we stand before Him. And there, are, and there are no crowns for quitters because the Bible says take care that no man lose his reward and you can lose it. It's not going to be about how you start. It's going to be about how you finish. And uh, someone that understands that to be a disciple, it means to pick up a cross is more likely to finish than somebody that just thinks, man, I I'm here, where's my crown? I mean, I have friends that are trying to hire full-time staff that are making far more than, than, than we ever did when we started in the ministry. And they won't work because it's not enough money. And they want to know about their, their 
uh, health benefits package. They're wanting to know about how much vacation time they're going to get. They want to know if they're getting a staff car and on and on. And, and they're not asking about, well, you know, when I became the pastor of the Bethel Baptist Church uh, in 2004, 15 years ago, I didn't know what I was making until after they called me. I knew the church. Uh, I asked them if the bills were being paid. They said yes. I didn't know, but, and, and the bills were being paid. But they were at that point, they had a little bit of savings. I didn't grow up at a Baptist church where you had a savings account. I grew up where, man, if you had 200 bucks at the end of the week, you were riding high, and there were weeks that you didn't have $10 in the bank. So I didn't know at a church that had a savings account that they could draw on, and they were running 5000 a month in the red, and they were on to the last 5000 I didn't know, I, I didn't know, I didn't even know what I was going to make. Young people, what I put in the plate every week right now, in my tithes, my offerings, and our missions giving is more than what I made my first two positions in the ministry, gross income. Because you didn't get in the ministry to make money. My daddy, when he first took his first church in Chicago Heights, Illinois in 1983, we moved into a parsonage, and uh, it was called the Victory Hill Baptist Church, and uh, we, it, it was a victory getting up that hill in the middle of the winter is what we always said. And we moved into the parsonage. It was asphalt siding. Uh, uh, think about if they took the shingles, because they don't build houses this way anymore. But think if they took your shingles and made your siding out of that. How many, some, of you, some of the older folks here might remember those asphalt uh, uh, siding houses. And that house, it literally leaned in on itself. And we had to take, we called it the Christmas tree house, uh, or the Christmas present house, because every winter, I mean, the wind blew through that thing. I, I cannot tell you how the wind came through that. We would wrap, you know, people used to wrap their windows and put plastic. We wrapped the whole house in plastic. We would take days and wrap that, I mean, the whole house in plastic. And the guy that was before us, that was before my dad, his wife had passed away many years before, and, and he was a widower. He was a man who had been living by himself. There is a reason the Bible says it is not good that a man should be alone. And that whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. That guy had been without his wife for a long time. And upstairs in, the, in, in, the, in, in that house, he had every sword of the Lord, every issue of the sword of the Lord, and every national geographic that had been issued since the day they were founded. In that house... The only thing that was holding that house up, and it literally did lean in on itself. The only thing holding that house up was the mice that lived in the walls. You want to know why I don't like cats? We had cats. Because my dad will tell you that decon just makes mice fat. That's what he tells you. He calls it candy. We bought decon. We tried everything. Nothing. We finally, we got cats. And I'm talking, we had 10 cats outside. We had 10 cats inside. Hey, we had to, look. We had, my mother, before she could cook our meal, she had to wash the dishes, not after the meal, before the meal because of the mice droppings. I remember my mom opened the cabinet under the sink to reach in and pick up some dish soap, and there's mice staring at her. And she would just reach and grab a cat. There was always one around. Throw it in and close the door. Hey, I ain't making this up, man. We would wake up in the morning. That house was cold. It wasn't insulated. The only thing insulating that house was the plastic and the fur on the bodies of those mice living in the wall. And we would wake up. We'd see our breath in the morning. And, and you, you kind of, you know, you open your eyes and you kind of know like somebody's there. And there would be a mouse curled up under our noses. It didn't happen to you. It happened to me. It'd be curled up under our noses because our breath was warm. 
I woke up at 10 years of age. I was paralyzed. I mean, paralyzed. I could not move. I physically could not move my body, my arms, my legs, and I panicked. And I'm like, why can't I move? Ten cats were sleeping on me. And one had given birth. No, under the bed. Thank God, under the bed. I should have preempted that. Under the bed. But see, even that was a trick. Because back then, you didn't have money for, any, for food. We had a garden that was as big as this auditorium for six people. Uh, that, that is also true. We had two gardens. I mean, we'd live on the garden. And we'd get the banana boxes, the Chiquita banana boxes from the Aldi's. You know, you go to Aldi's, and you went to Aldi's because it was cheap, and you got to keep the banana boxes when you were done. And mom would can everything, and she'd put them things in cans, and every kid under your bed. And so there, you got boxes around the edge of underneath your bed, but there's a little hole in the middle that the cats can, you know, that was the maternity ward for all the cats. You didn't get in it for the money. You didn't get in it for the crown. You got in it for the cross. My dad left a good job. He was the traffic superintendent at Dietrich Steel. And he left that for, the, for that house. That house caught on fire one night when we were in it. I found out what my, you'll find out what your, who loves what most when your house is on fire. My mom grabbed her brand new rocking chair, not one of her children. She's never apologized. I grabbed my GI Joes. Hey, we used to go out on the outside cats. This is what we did for, for fun. We would go on the outside cats, and there was a disgusting garage attached. We couldn't knock it down because it helped prop the house up on that side. And raccoons. We put just enough cat food out there to kind of keep the cats around. But, I mean, it was just a mice fest for them. But the raccoons would come and try to get the cat food. And those cats, we didn't feed them enough. Those cats were serious. Those cats would fight those raccoons. And we'd go out. That's what we did for entertainment is go out and watch cats fight raccoons. For whatever reason, the washer and the dryer were not in the, in the parsonage. They were in the church building 100 yards away by the baptistry. That's where our washer and dryer was. Actually, the washer was in the house. The dryer, for whatever reason, was in the baptistry room in the church. You know, I'm nine years old. Do you know how heavy a basket full of blue jeans is to a nine-year-old? You get halfway across that parking lot, and then you slip on the ice, you dump them in the middle of the parking lot, then you got to take them back. Mom has to wash them again so you can take them back. When we, moved, when we came to our church, our church is 165 years old. We moved into a parsonage, lived there for almost three years. That parsonage is 125 years old, and it looked like it. We sat on the kitchen table like this. Hey, you put a pencil, man, it'd roll off to the floor. The church people didn't want us to move in. It was all we had. It's, it's been condemned. It's, it's, actually, it's not. There are people living there. It's a meth house today, okay? Uh, it, you, you, you got in it for the crown. And the last thing Jesus said, he talked about this king that made his plans. He said, if you don't forsake your family, if you don't forsake your future, and if you don't forsake your fortune, you cannot be my disciple. It's a hard test to forsake your family, your idea of what you think the ministry is going to be. I've actually just talked to you a little bit about your fortune. Young people, some of you in the ministry that go into the ministry, this is going to happen to you. You're going to watch some of your siblings and some of the people that you grew up with, and you're going to watch them grow up. And you're, you're, going to start, you're all going to start off in the same spot. You're going to start off broke. You're going to start, we, we started off living in a mobile home that was built the year I was born. 
in, in, in southeast Iowa. And everybody starts off with nothing, but you're going to watch people that you know that you love and they're Christians and they go to church, but you're going to watch them. They're going to work in the secular world. And all of a sudden, they're going to get nicer cars than you're going to drive. And they're going to get a nicer house than you're probably going to live. Look, God's been good to us. Uh, God has blessed us. I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't drive anything different, live anything more than I am uh, right now, but happiness isn't having what you want, it's wanting what you have. And you're going to see people go places in life that you grew up with and get some things in life, be able to do some things, take some vacations that you can't afford to take. They're going to be able to eat some places that you're, you're not, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to share a Happy Meal at McDonald's and uh and you're not going to be eating at the Outback Steakhouse and things like that. That, that, might, that might be. Jesus said, if you're not willing to forsake your family, your future, your fortune, all your dreams, your ambitions. I have young people sometimes say, and God's called them, and they know God's called them, and they say, but I, but I play basketball so well. Why would God give me this talent? No, you're never as good as you think you are, okay? But you know God gives everybody something, some talent that's natural, that's carnal, that's of the flesh, that's not, not everything of the flesh is, is sinful. There are some things that are just, carnal just means the natural man. But it's some talent that you have. And people will say this, well, why would God give me this great ability if he didn't want me to use it? Because God gives everybody something to sacrifice. God gives everybody something to say that I, I have things that naturally I am much better at that come easy for me. That were natural. And, and you're not going to be in the ministry because you couldn't do something else because you, because you were too dumb. Let me tell you something. People that in the secular world that put in the hours we put in, and, and honestly, a good pastor that has the knowledge and the zeal and has labored in the Word could have went much farther in the secular world. I, turn, I turned away from a, a, a federal law enforcement job for 250 bucks a week in a, in a parsonage and a youth pastor in a youth group of 50 kids in the, in the inner city uh, on the, or on the south side of the city of Chicago. It's not that you couldn't be doing something else, but you're doing the work of a disciple. Here's the thing. You're not going to make a disciple out of somebody until you become one yourself. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to people telling me about what kind of disciples they're going to make, and they don't, they don't mention any of the things that Jesus has mentioned. That they're willing to put Christ first in their life. That they're willing to take up that crown uh, or that cross, whether it gets a crown or it doesn't get a crown. There are some people that, I mean, Stephen preached one, uh, preached one message and his crown came at martyrdom. And there are people that are not willing to, that, that, that they're, they're not willing to forsake everything to follow me. And you know what? Let's give the disciples a little credit. They had some good days. And the reason, and the disciples, honestly, people like Peter, James, and John, they encourage me. Because if God will, can use them and will use them, He can use just about anybody. They were ignorant, unlearned fishermen, but when they got it, they got it. You know what Peter said? Lord, we have left all and followed Thee. By the way, if you go to Mark chapter 10, you're going to find after Jesus said that, He said, you know what? No man that hath left father or mother, sisters, brethren, houses and lands, friends, for my sake shall not inherit. Now in this life, an hundredfold in the life, eternal life to come. God has, God has a crown for you in heaven. But you know what? There are things, I'm a, the thing I love the most about Bethel Baptist Church is the people. 
the, the church family that I have, the people that I get to, to serve with, and, and, and uh, uh, we get to labor together. We've raised our families together. There, there is, the thing is, we, we, so, we misdefine what discipleship's crowns really is. It's not in the recognition. It's not in the riches. But it's in the righteousness of Christ and doing His will. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed for a moment this morning. Look, I've just tried to share with you a few things that Jesus shared with His disciples where multitudes, and people want to figure out, well, why do multitudes, how can all these people that grow up in a Christian school and grow up in a Christian home and even go to Bible college and all of a sudden they become castaways for their faith? Well, because they really didn't have, they, they, didn't, they didn't stop long enough to really see what Jesus did. Jesus left His Father. Jesus came not to do His own will, but the will of Him that sent Him. He, he didn't, that wasn't the future He would have chosen. And then He forsook His fortune, though He was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the young people, Lord, that they've listened and listened well this morning. Pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, has taught us something, Lord, that will stay in our hearts and help us to, Lord, be one of those few that find that true path to discipleship. We'll give You our thanks in Jesus' name. Let's stand. The piano's playing. The altar's open. The Holy Spirit spoke to you somewhere along the way. Maybe you just need to come right now and say, Lord, help me to be willing not to just be one of the multitude, not just to be one of the crowd, not to be one that's just going to be uh, an unexplained castaway, but Father, right now, that I offer You, I offer You my family. No one's going to go before Jesus Christ in my life. I offer You my future, even if it comes to the cross, knowing that it certainly does. Father, I'm not, will, I'm not looking for the fortune. I'm just looking to live by faith. Trust You. That when we stand before Him, God's not going to be a debtor to any man, to any woman that's been a true disciple. Others are praying there's still room for you if the Holy Spirit's spoken to you. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.